Hey folks, here's another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Hewitt Tomlin. Before we get into it, again, the online payments portal is our latest feature. If you have wondered if you can sell training programs or train people online, but really haven't found a tool that makes it easy to do so, I encourage you to go to teambuilder.com and check out our website. We have a new platform out to make it really easy to build a program and allow people to pay you to sign up to train with it. Today's guest is Rachel Balkovec. We've known Rachel for years here at Team Builder. Rachel is a longtime performance coach, uh, but she, as of recently, is a hitting coach with the New York Yankees. In fact, she's the first female hitting coach ever hired by an MLB team. As I was talking to Rachel, she was making plans to actually go to Australia uh, to continue coaching as a hitting coach, considering that the minor league season is all but finished due to COVID, at least for this year. Uh, we talk about performance a little bit, but considering Rachel's journey through performance and onto sports specific, I focus more on her personal journey and where she is now in regards to coaching. So um, again, I have talked to Rachel over the years. I know her story. I wasn't too interested in just kind of revisiting what we've talked about before, I kind of wanted to ask some more unique, kind of deeper questions about her journey, specifically in the context of her, you know, as a female coach. So I hope you enjoy and let me know your thoughts. So where are you now? I feel like every time I see you, I have to ask, where in the world is Rachel? <laughs> Someone, my boss said the other day, like they were, my boss is in New York now and he was like, you know, he's like, we were talking about you the other day and we're like, you are like, Carmen San Diego, like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? So I'm in Minneapolis and um, I've been here for two months. I leave on Saturday and then I'm going to be journeying across the country to either California or Seattle. And then I'm going to Australia. Very cool. <laughs> so there's a. And okay, so that's exactly why I asked because of course you've got a big plan going on. Um, what, what are you doing in Australia? So there's a league, there's a baseball league there. Um, it's called the Australian Baseball League. And it's, you know, it's not definitely not Major League Baseball by any means, but it is, I would say, like double A level. Um, there's definitely some players that are going to be like trying to play over there because the season was canceled. So I think the competition will be even a bit better than it is traditionally. And I have an opportunity to coach and I need to coach. So. <laughs> So I'm going to go over there and um, even during COVID times, which is, you know, a treat for me to get a pass to go and travel across the world. That's right. Uh, during a time like this when there is no travel internationally. So, um, yeah, I'm going and it's just it's really just the best opportunity for me to develop as a coach when our season was canceled. So, yeah, being in a dugout, being in a season setting where right now I'm in Minneapolis coaching for a travel ball team and, you know, it's coaching in the cages, but it's not it's not the same as when you're trying to win games and a player's in a slump or there's, you know, there's competition involved uh, that actually matters. So that's that. So I, I will have mentioned it in my intro, but when you say your season cut short, that would be the, uh, the minor league season for the mm -hmm. New York Yankees in your case, right? Yep. Um, do you want me to tell a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, you you can. I mean, we'll we'll cover it all. Um, but this is this is a recent thing. I, I, you know, if anyone is like current with Rachel, you know, it was only less than a year ago where we kind of announced that you you know broke another barrier as a hitting coach. You know, I guess first female hitting coach in MLB for the the Yankees here. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It was a year ago. Um, I was hired by the Yankees, I think, in November, and um, as everyone knows, COVID hit, and like, I guess that was April, we were all sent home, or no, excuse me, March, we were sent home in spring training, so basically I was hired in November by the Yankees, um, just did off-season uh, conversations with them, showed up to spring training in Tampa, was there for five weeks, and then we all got sent home, so I was on site for five weeks in camps, and then the rest of it was through Zoom meetings, and credit to the Yankees, I think, and just credit to our staff for, we had a lot going on um, through Zoom and through video and through uh, working with our analysts and learning our internal metrics and such. And so I still feel like I got a lot better 
as a coach. And then for myself personally, I was also throwing batting practice. I probably throw in batting practice. I don't know, an average of five days a week since we stopped. Um, that was a source of, I needed to get better at that. And also just like an opportunity for me to be coaching and, and working with players. And so um, just doing what I can, like for me personally, and I know you know this about me, Hewitt, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to take a year off, you know? Right. Um, but at the, at the same time, like, honestly, it was leading up to that point of getting sent home. It was two years of just absolutely grinding. I moved to Europe. I went back to school. I did research at driveline for six months and I got hired by the Yankees. And there was also a lot of noise associated with that, with just media and, you know, showing up and wearing a Yankees uniform and having to deal with learning names in a new city and a new job. And then there's cameras following me around. And so when we got sent home, I clearly did not want to take a year off, but also I never, I never miss an opportunity to get some space and some mental space and clarity on and reflection on things that have gone on. So it's been quite the year and now I'm going to Australia. Yeah. And you're, and going to Seattle before then, what are you doing in Seattle? Um, actually going back to driveline, uh, not to is that what they're based or is yeah, it just an driveline is the performance for anyone listening that, uh, it's a baseball performance facility. And I would say it's probably top in the world as far as, um, melding research and performance. Um, they're basically, they have as much technology, if not more than any academic institution. And I would even go as far as to say they have probably as much technology and research, uh, capability or more than any professional baseball organization, they also get top level talent from baseball training there. So anyone who knows anything about research, which all of the strength coaches listening to this do know about research, most research is done on high school players and five of them. <laughs> and so driveline baseball is unique in a way where they can collect data on extremely high level players and hundreds of them. And they have thousands of data points over their time in existence. So I'm going, I did my research there and I'm probably going to go back there and do a little bit of training um, and just have an opportunity to coach air quotes um, a bit before I go to Australia. I'm also training myself. I'm swinging a bat, I'm hitting, um, I'm throwing, I'm teaching myself to throw curveballs. So having access to a baseball facility is important for me right now. Right. Um, I just got back from Seattle, like, two days ago my first time ever um it's a cool place it's a cool place different vibe yeah. than oh yeah i don't travel as much as you so like when i visit someplace i'm like whoa this is different uh, <laughs> yeah it's very unique yeah 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 um so like throwing bp you've mentioned it twice now is there something about throwing bp at, at your level that's like different than say doing it for a high school team Do, is it like more sophisticated do you have to be better um, at it no the the throwing BP for me, uh, you know, I don't know where you want to take this podcast. So we're just going to go down. for me. It's funny. Like people are like, Oh, it's so hard for you to be a hitting coach and this and that. And like, realistically speaking, I've been coaching the body for 10 years previous to being a hitting coach. And so I'm just coaching the body again, but now it's applied to the skill of hitting. So being a hitting coach, the hardest thing for me, honestly, is throwing batting practice. And a little bit of background on that is just that, so my career, I played softball in college and my career ended from the yips. Uh, you and I have probably discussed So this it. is actually when I was writing the script for this podcast, which we're throwing out the window anyway. <laughs> the first thing I had on was your time at LSU and your experience as an athlete. Because, yeah, we, we have talked about this before. I thought this was something I wanted to like talk about. Yeah, I think it, I think – I think it's funny, like the story within the story is like the hardest part for me transitioning to be a hitting coach or the scariest part, I guess you could say, like, you know, coaching, hitting, coaching, swing mechanics, um, coaching the, the swing decisions and actually like this, the skill of hitting a baseball, which is different than swing mechanics. Um, it's not easy, but that was like the relatively easy part. Like the thing that I was most scared about is throwing batting practice. And the story behind that is just my career in softball ended from the yips. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, but I, I mean, everyone's in sports probably listening to this podcast. Um, it's just where I basically had game anxiety or I had, um, I had performance anxiety when it came to softball and long story short, I ended my career not being able to throw a ball anywhere. Like I, if I threw a ball, it was not going where I intended it to go. Uh, it's common, definitely common in baseball and softball. Also, like 
basketball players losing their shot, golfers shanking the ball. Like this is a very common thing, but, but rarely talked about because it's really embarrassing. It's really painful. It definitely was an identity loss for me as a college athlete to just go from strangely, you know, not like your identity ends when you graduate, but like strangely within two weeks, um, I would say literally within two weeks, I couldn't throw softball. And that was something I had done without thinking about it for my entire life. So. And, and it's not just something that happens like at, at the college level, right. For amateur athletes, like the most yeah. recent famous example was Jared Saltalamacchia, MLB yeah. catcher, right? I think he was like an all-star catcher. Yeah. Um, went oh, yeah. to, got hurt, went to rehab and on his way back up through the minors, got you know, the yips and couldn't throw the ball back to the mound. Yes. It wasn't even, it wasn't even in play. It was just uh, like, you know, throwing it back to the mound. Yeah. So this happens to anyone and the, the yips and we call it that, but like, what is the technical scientific term for what it is? Is it just, I don't think there is a technical scientific Is it just anxiety? It's just game induced anxiety. Yeah. Performance, performance anxiety, I guess you could say. Um, I don't think there's, I, I talk about this all the time and it's something that's like really obviously near and dear to my heart because I mean, my life was completely altered by it. Um, but people don't want to talk about it. You know, like they don't, it's embarrassing. I'm sure right. for Salta Lamakia, like I, it's funny you mentioned his name cause I literally just reached out to him because I finally have, I don't want to say I've overcome the yips because it will never, I'm convinced it will never actually leave me, but I have developed like a very, very specific skill set to manage my anxiety surrounding throwing a ball because I have to th- throw batting practice. So, yeah. uh, it's just something that's not talked about often, which means you don't have a lot of people talking about it, which means you don't have a lot of research subjects, which means in sports, I'm not sure if there's a true like scientific term because it hasn't been researched. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you ever seen anything that resembles the Ips like in a weight room? I feel like when you hear about it, it really only has to do with the, the sport itself and not anything like in the- No, yeah, I don't think so because, I don't think so because there's not pressure. It's like- right. I would imagine, I imagine this happens with Olympic weightlifters, um, it's particularly with like a snatch, uh, if they've had any kind of shoulder injury or anything where they might not be, you know, they might not be able to catch the bar anymore. I met, but that's also their sport. Yeah. So as far as like the weight room goes, I don't know if I've ever heard of that really, because realistically speaking, that's not their sport. And actually that's how I got to the conditioning is because I was, I was struggling so badly with softball and I was putting in all the work and it wasn't it wasn't panning out, you know, like, you know, right. me and I'm a workhorse. I, Oh, I'm showing up early, staying late. I'll do all the work. And it, on the softball field for me, it was just like one plus one equals negative six. It just was not panning out no matter how much work I put in. As soon as I got into a pressure situation, I was launching the ball. So what happened was I like took to the weight room because one plus one equals two. I'd show up, I work hard, I get stronger. I get praise from the coach. I could contribute to my team somehow um, I just knew that that was a space where I was safe to go to and like be yeah. good at something. And that ultimately developed into a career path. So it's kind of how I got into strength and conditioning one way or another. That was at LSU. That was, uh, when I was playing at New Mexico and then uh, yeah. definitely led to like one of my first coaching experiences at LSU. Right. Right. Did you feel like you had everything you needed as an athlete when you were going through that? Like, no. did you, no. What did you need? Did you need a sports psychologist? Did you just Yeah, like I was just before mental skills got big. Like that I when I was going through that, first of all, my freshman year, no one even said anything to me about like the mental side of the game. I thought it was mechanics. My coaches were working on my throwing mechanics. I was confused. Uh-huh. I had never heard of it before. I'm like losing my mind as a freshman. I just went off a cliff. I was definitely in, in a depression even though at the time I didn't know these things right like I was I was I feel totally comfortable sharing all this but I was like crying every day out of nowhere like I didn't I was in a depression I had no it was idea. an identity thing it wasn't like you were playing poorly this was how you identified as a yeah like I, my entire identity and anyone any freshman athlete usually mm-hmm. like my entire identity was like I'm a softball player and even more specifically I'm a catcher like I, I was like I just that's who I am and then that was in two weeks just completely gone I just was like I don't know who I am without this um so then I went like I transferred long story short my parents saw this like this like me falling off a cliff thing and um they they essentially made me transfer out of this situation that I was in 
maybe go to New Mexico. When I got to New Mexico, the coaches there, I, I was better removing myself from the, from the situation I was in. It was better. Um, but I still, it was, it was better, but I, anytime I was in a, like a real pressure situation and you go from, I was at Creighton and then I went to New Mexico and like our, our non-conference games were against Arizona. Like we just, it's just like, there was no room for me to have any kind of anxiety. So I went there and finally the coach there was like, we, you know, we want to get you some help from a psychologist. But again, there were no mental skills coaches in the athletic department. Like that yeah. wasn't a thing. That was you could have used one. Do you think yeah. you, you would have benefited from one? Oh yeah. I still, I was embarrassed about seeing a sports psychologist. It wasn't even a sports psychologist. It was, it was like the campus psychologist. It uh-huh. had nothing to do with sports. Interesting. But they did the best they could. And at the very least, they were like, this is a mental skills issue. As they Not, told you where no one yeah. else would tell you. The coach, the coach at New Mexico, credit to him. So yeah. much so, so much credit to him because even after my first year there, they offered me to get a mental um, red shirt through the NCAA. And at the time I just like, I was such, I was so embarrassed and I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to try to fight through this. Um, but I look back and I'm like, I totally should have done that. <laughs> like, there's no way, but there's just, I didn't want to tell any, I never told any of my teammates that I was seeing a psychologist, none of it. It was wildly embarrassing. I just, I, I was like completely just a shell of myself. And I think that, you know, again, credit to my coaches, but I didn't have the tools that I needed, not because of my coaches, but because mental skills was not a thing. It, breathing, mindfulness, meditation with athletes, forget it. That wasn't a thing. Yeah. So they were ahead of their time, even just to know that it was a mental skills issue to send me to a psychologist, to offer me, I mean, without even me asking, they contacted the NCAA. They asked for me to get a like medical red shirt yeah. for a mental issue, which again, it's just like, this is, they were ahead of their time. They did everything they could to help me at that time. Now, I mean, it'd be a whole different thing. Um, I probably would have more than enough resources to hopefully manage that a little bit better. Does every MLB team have a, a, a sports psychologist? Oh yeah. But I don't think it's required at this point. I think having psychologists available um, for like true mental disorders is required, but mm-hmm. I don't think a sports psychologist is required, but I'm, I'm very confident saying that, that every major league team now employs one. at least one. Right. At is least it, one. Is it considered like a very new field? Do you think it has like you know, yeah. a lot of room for development? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say it's still, but it's, yeah, it's it's relatively new. Of course, it's not new, but it's relatively new as far as like how much traction and how much uh, value people are putting in it now. Yeah, got it. Interesting. So that starts you off as, you know, your career as a strength coach. At some point, you had to make the decision to want to pursue MLB. I don't think anyone's ever asked you, at least I haven't heard it. So why did you, did you choose MLB because you wanted to? You just liked it or what? Cause you knew that would no. be a challenge, right? You, you had to look at it and know like that had to be a hard thing to choose. It'd be much easier to choose like college softball. Um, so yeah. why did you choose, why did you choose MLB as a, as a pursuit? This is the untold story. This is a story. I, I've recently started telling this story more, but I never used to, to say, you know, cause it's very easy for me to just be like, Oh yeah, I played softball. So, you know, baseball. But what happened was the true, the true story is, um, I was, I dated a minor league baseball player for five years and we started dating when I was a college softball player. He played uh, baseball at New Mexico. So we dated for two years in college and then he got drafted and played for the Dodgers in the minor league system. So meanwhile, I, we both graduated and I went on to LSU and I was a graduate assistant at LSU and I'm seeing like top level development, strength and conditioning. I mean, everything I'm seeing the top. SCC, LSU. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, he's working his way through the minors, just absolutely grinding, eating hot dogs before the game. And I'm just like, what? Like, that is not performing. I'm, I'm shocked at hearing his stories of the minor leagues because I don't think even the biggest baseball fans, like, do not understand what the minor leagues is like. And so I was hearing all this. And then also he went, he was a prospect. So he got opportunities to play in winter ball and all these offseason camps. And so I actually went to winter ball with him in the Dominican Republic, which, you know, has been a huge part of my career. 
Yeah. So I just got, I think I just got exposed to minor league baseball and I was like, I just was shocked. And I was like, I want to get in that and make it better, you know, cause uh-huh. I had seen my first experience of coaching was at an SEC school at LSU. Yeah. So I got this phenomenal and not just any SEC school, but at the time you think, um, the football team was 13 and Oh, in the national championship, baseball and softball were both in the college world series women's basketball was sweet 16. I mean, just everyone was winning. It was just this electric culture at the time. And I was getting exposed to this minor league baseball. And I was like, I want to take a crack at it. Like, I want to see if I can improve it. I want to see what I can yeah. help change it is has always been my mentality. Yeah. So to so your other side of the question was like, Oh, that'd be really difficult. Could be easy to just go into female sports. And I was so naive so naive that I didn't even understand there were no women in professional sports at the time. I was so like, I don't even know how I didn't know, but I was like Googling jobs, the PBS CCS. I was a website then, you know, and still is of course. And I was like Googling jobs and I was like, where, you know, there's no women's names on any of these job listings, none of the blogs, nothing. I finally started Googling like female strength coach in the MLB and there's nothing. I'll never forget. I went to my boss's office, Melissa Moore at the time. And I was like, Mel, are are there no like women, like in major league baseball strength coaches? And she just laughed at me. She was like, of course there are like, what do you mean? She was like, there's no women in any professional sports, any male professional sports right now. And I was like, just shocked. Like, yeah, I couldn't imagine because at the time I was, I was directly over men's tennis. I was helping with baseball. Uh, my boss, Melissa Moore had helped with LSU football. She'd been on the sidelines for seven, eight years. So in the college realm, you just, you just forget sometimes. So anyway, to answer your question to that point, literally when I started applying for jobs, I had no idea. And then that didn't deter me. I was like, Oh, all right, well I'm at LSU. You know, like I was a college softball player. I'm at LSU. I was at Athletes Performance previous to that. Like, why would they not hire me? This is, I'm more than qualified to do a minor league level job, which at the time were all internships. Um, so, yeah, I just, I didn't, I was so, I was naive, I think almost in a positive way because I didn't even think to not apply for the jobs. Yeah. Is it true that you uh, changed your name to Ray on your resume? It is. It is. That's, but that was later. After so I got, getting- so, after getting denied or after what sending your resume and not hearing a lot, lot. Yeah, I was pretty, I was naive for a while, Hewitt. So what happened was I was, I was very naive. I applied for jobs. You know, I didn't really get anything back, but I didn't think I was just like, okay, you're, when you're young, you apply for a lot of jobs. Anyway, you don't get responses. You're just like, okay, you apply for a lot of jobs. You're young. You just, so the Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals called LSU, the minor league coordinator called LSU and said, Hey, do you have anyone? We need an intern kind of on short notice. Like one of our people quit, you know, that was a situation where they're desperate and LSU was like, Oh uh, yeah, we've got this great graduate assistant. They work with softball, baseball. Great. Uh, by the way, it's a girl. Is that a problem? <laughs> and so thankfully the St. Louis Cardinals took a leap of faith, I guess you could say, and hired me as an intern 2012. Okay. So relatively I would say easy and I still was naive I wasn't super naive there was you know there were nuances and things that went on um but I my naivete was still at a level I would say eight out of ten and then got done with that internship it was what I think four months got the strength and conditioning coach of the year in the league uh I feel like earned the respect of the players the coaches feel like I did a good job they said I did a good job but it's an internship right it's done you just yeah done and they were like, well, uh, we'll call you in six months if we have another situation. I was like, well, I can't wait. So I actually ended up moving to Phoenix um, to start a PhD in nutrition. Well, anyone that knows baseball knows that there are 15 teams based in Phoenix. And so I thought, oh, I'll just get another internship in Phoenix because um, there's 15 teams based here. And it was the off season. So I'm applying for all these jobs. I applied for probably eight to 10 jobs. Heard nothing back. I'm still not thinking anything. I was still super naive. And I heard nothing back, finally get a call back from a team. And they're like, hey, uh, once you come down to interview, I interviewed, everything went great. He said, yeah, you're, you're our, our girl, we're gonna hire you. I'll call you tomorrow, we're gonna get the paperwork started. I'm like, cool, ghosted me. I'm really? like, never heard from him. And, and I was like, still naive, by the way. I'm an eight out of 10 naive. Like I, you know, I got 
left lay of the land doing an internship for the Cardinals. I was just, yeah. But I was still like, why, why would they not call me back? Three weeks later, he calls me finally. And he's like, hey, I'm really sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, I really wanted to hire you. Um, I had made the decision and I went to pass it by and our administration said that they weren't willing to hire a woman in that position. And I was like, I, I mean, my naivete went from like an eight to a zero. I was wow, like, the guy went, the guy just went right out and told you. Yeah, That's he told me. Bold. But I was like, wow, it's really illegal. But also, thank you for being honest because I had no idea that I was being discriminated against at all. And so, so he was like, you know, he just was a, he was legitimately apologizing. And then he also wanted to tell me, you know, he was like, also, I want you to know that I reached out to every other team to try to help you that I knew had an open position. And they all said that they had received your resume because you applied for every single job and they couldn't, they also could not hire a woman. And, um, my, obviously I was no longer naive. So I knew what I was up against right. at that point. So I'm, I'm forever grateful. I'm still, uh, in light contact with that man. I'm just like forever grateful for him to being honest. Yeah. So I sat out that year of baseball. I, Waitress, Lululemon, all that, and then the next year coming around is when I changed my name on my resume because I was—I knew what I was going up against, and I also finally clicked for me that I had an awesome resume for a young strength coach, especially applying for a low-level minor league job that at the time again was still seasonal internships. Like there was right. no reason why I wasn't getting these jobs other than my gender. So it finally started to dawn on me. So I—I I just got ahead of it and changed my name to Ray, and. That worked, but you know, pretty quickly, I only kept it that way for a short amount of time because I just felt awful. Like it felt awful to have to change my name to get recognition. However, it was a strange also like ray of hope because I once I changed my name, I got all these responses very quickly. And so I was like, okay, my resume is good. I'm doing the right things. Yeah. Um, all this work I'm putting in isn't going unnoticed. It's just, just my just this little thing called my gender which is tough so which is tough to change so um anyway i i changed it i got a call it was really awkward i changed it back that's kind of a long story short and it was getting late in that off season again um around january and i got a call from pete prinzi who you know yeah um who i his name pete prinzi was the major league strength coach for the cardinals who i had already worked for I'll never like literally burned into my mind. I like picked up the phone. His name was on the phone and I was like, why is he calling me? So I answered the phone. He's like, Hey, um, our coordinator has moved on and we'd like to know if you want to uh, apply for the coordinator position. And I had to look at the phone again. I like looked at it and I was like, is this a joke? And I'm like thinking, cause I couldn't even get an internship. It was getting late in the off season again. And I was going to have to sit out another year so much so that I had, applied for gotten and was planning on moving to Boston to work for Cressy as an intern. Like I was so sure I wasn't going to have a job again after applying for all these jobs in the off season. And Pete called me and I, you know, the rest is history. I just, I interviewed and they hired me um, based off of the work that I had done for them as an intern. So I went from not being able to get a seasonal internship job at the Meyerly level to being not only full-time, but overseeing 250 athletes, assisting the major league strength coach with everything, flying all over the country, overseeing 10 male strength coaches. And I mean, again, my naivete was a zero because I was like, oh, I'm qualified to be a coordinator, but I can't get anyone else to hire me for even an internship. Yeah. So it was quite the, quite the journey. And what, what um, was the year? What year was that? That was, uh, I was hired full-time 2014. 14. Oh, wow. It's even, yeah. So, and I think, believe that was the year you and I met because that's when we kind of met Pete. But just to kind of put it all in context, 2014, while it's not the dark ages, you, support for women's issues weren't on, um, oh, yeah. there wasn't as much awareness for that in 14 as there is today. Oh, God. Um, it has changed so much. Yeah. Oh, so much. Yeah, it has. And to be like a little bit candid here, you know, we, in even, even like 2016 and 17, I think we wanted to do more as far as like highlighting women in the industry and things like that. And we probably backed down from like those types of marketing projects because 
like the appetite wasn't there for, for that kind of stuff. And I'm talking like simple blog posts, like, you know, 10 women to know in the strength industry, you know, po- probably would not have been like super popular in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were doing this, you know, prior to, to a lot of cultural change. Um, I mean, it's been light. It's been, it's like, I, it's a weird feeling because I'm like, I'm like, I have this weird, uh, I, I hate to say bitterness, but just to be honest with you, and I, I'm happy, like I share these things, be, they're private and they're personal, but also it's like, it needs to be talked about. But it's like in 2014, no one cared when I got hired full-time as a strength coach. That's true. Not even a strength coach. I was That's the coordinator. True. The reception that you got for your latest role with the Yankees versus oh. the, um, the one prior, <laughs> it's like, it's not even it's, the same. It's not even, I mean, literally like, no, I got hired. I mean, realistically, I was the first full, true full-time strength and conditioning coach hired in all of men's professional sports ever. Mm-hmm. And like, there was zero media. The Cardinals didn't put anything out. There was nothing. And then like, I'm hired as a GCL minor league hitting coach for the Yankees. And everyone's like, Oh, let's celebrate. I believe there was a New York times piece on it. it yeah, it's like, much bigger than that. So I'd like, as much as I'd like to take the credit, it's like, no society has changed around me. And I'm just, I'm just so fortunate, you know, not that I do it for that, of course, but it's like, I'm fortunate to be alive in a time where people actually care and people are celebrating women, both, both just in sports, but also like female athletes are getting so much more media attention. Social media has done a lot for that. Obviously. Um, I didn't even have an Instagram in 2014, if that tells you how social media has changed. So I think the celebration surrounding me being hired as a Yankees, like minor league hitting coach, I'm not overseeing shit. I'm not even like I'm doing it's not that I'm doing nothing, but like I was overseeing everything for the Cardinals. Like I had a top job in professional baseball, definitely the first of its kind in any kind of men's professional sports in 2014. And it was like crickets. No one cared. Yeah. Like it's crazy how society has changed so fast. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like for my personal curiosity, but uh, what exactly does a Latin American coordinator do in minor league baseball? That was your position, I believe, with uh, the Houston Astros, correct? Yep. So I was a Latin American coordinator for two years, double-A strength coach for one year with them. And the Latin American coordinator, I would say, is just more or less the lower-level coordinator. So I was overseeing, for sure, all the like operations for us in Latin America, which is which is two minor league teams, and then also like the GCL, which is the, kind of their first – uh, their first introduction to the States. Um, so primarily our young land players who are just getting going, our little babies in the organization. Gotcha. What, um, what's the state of baseball in Latin America? Like what, what are these minor teams like? Do they have a lot of resources? Are these guys working out? Do they come in pretty raw talent wise? Hewitt, you just asked me questions to get me going. <laughs> Why um, is this, you have a lot of feelings about this? Yeah, tons, just because I spent so much time. And frankly, it's part of the reason, as I mentioned earlier, like it's part of the reason why I even got into professional baseball is the minor leagues and specifically just understanding how much room we have to grow in the area of Latin American operations. Um, It's changed wildly since I've been at the game. So 2012, I mean, the the conditions at the complexes were horrific, you know, um, I would say and just from like um like a hygiene standpoint or hygiene the food that was provided all of it was was horrific um Mm -hmm. probably you know it's it's presented as from major league baseball's standpoint it's presented as well this is a great opportunity for them to be able to play professional sport get off the island provide for their family that's kind of how it's presented um but in some ways we're farming that country and with the promise of, oh, you'll make a lot of money. But even out of the kids that are signed, like there could be a hundred players at one of the Dominican academies and there might be 10 of those guys that even get to the United States. So you're promising, you know, this kind of false hope essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a great opportunity for them in some ways, but also we, we could do a better job, I think as an industry. And I'm not, I'm not even talking necessarily about the team that I work for. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but as an industry as a whole, I think we could do a better job of setting them up for success. Um, just providing better opportunities for education for them. Um, the Astros had a phenomenal education program for them, which was truly inspiring, where I really do feel like if they got an opportunity to, work, to play for the Houston Astros, they were getting an opportunity beyond just, oh, show up and we, we'll feed you some food and give you a bunk bed to sleep on. You know, it was definitely more of a development-centered um, idea. So I was really fortunate to work for the Astros in that regard as a Latin American coordinator, where the English teacher for the organization was absolutely phenomenal. Those kids were really pushed in English class. They had a skill. So even if they were released, they had a skill of speaking English so they can get a better job and mm-hmm. tourism or whatnot. So obviously, you know that for me, coaching is like so much about developing the human being and you just see so much growth uh, if it's done right in Latin America, because they really are coming to you sometime, sometimes without a high school degree. Mm-hmm. So presents all kinds of challenges, as you can imagine. And I think as an industry, we could do better. I saw it done really, really well with the Astros. Um, it was inspiring. And so that's definitely something I would love to help implement in the future in different organizations as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, now that you mentioned it, I do remember there was, there is a documentary. It's not a documentary. I'm sorry. It, it's a film on HBO. Super, yeah. Have you seen it? Sugar? Yes, I have. Yeah. It's really good. And now it is, and it's coming back to me. I did watch that, and then now that you talk about it, I, I think back, and I feel like that kind of depicts a little bit of the dilemma for some of these players, I guess, that once you make it to the States through the minor leagues, that just means the beginning of, say, like another challenge. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of pressure, and you have, you have less resources to deal with some of that pressure than, say, homegrown players, if you will. Yes, yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. So... Um, you did that with Houston for two years? Mm-hmm. And that was in double A with them for 2018. Okay. And uh, obviously a very successful organization. And then you took a turn for the different, I guess you could say. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, like, just real quickly, you, you went to the Netherlands back to academia, right? Um, kind of, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it looks like, but it, that was never the plan. I, right. I went, yeah, I went back to school. You went to school. Um, so like, this is just me on the surface. Like, was it kind of risky if you to, to say break off or, you know, from your current career in MLB, did you evaluate it that way or did you not see it that way? It was hugely risky. Gotcha. I was advised not to do that by many people. And that's what I thought. I think I have spoken with people. I can't remember who they were, but they, they, I think at the time when you were doing it, they said to me, um, it's risky. You know, it's almost like a pipe dream to leave a role and then try to come back with something more to the table uh, in another role, um, you know, without acquiring it within the organization. Meaning if you leave baseball and think you can come back, then that's a hard thing to do. That's, and you did that. Yeah. The thing is, is like, I mean, I, oh, yeah, yeah, again, you, oh, you're hitting some nerves here. It's like, I didn't mean to turn this into like uh, 60 minutes, you know? Yeah, like, right, so. everyone told me not to do it. No one understood my vision. No one understood the chess game that I was playing. And I would tell them my chess game, and they still would argue against it. And uh, I just did it. You know, and I was, uh, it started like, you want to talk about like just risk or stress or that's why I mentioned at the beginning when COVID hit to be completely honest. And I think if, if many people probably feel this way, but they may not admit it to be completely honest, like when COVID hit, it was a pressure release for me in some ways, because I was coming off of literally like just two years of a, an absolute fucking grind. Like I, 2018 season, I was in double A in the Texas league for the Astros. I knew I was going back to school at the end of the year. I was moving to Europe from Texas, like from double A. I even had to leave the season early to go and start classes. So I like, if you can imagine, like flew from Texas to Amsterdam and started classes, still jet lagged like the next day. And I, you know, I like, think back during that season and the Texas league is notorious in minor league baseball for horrible travel. We're, we're driving in a bus overnight. It's everything you think about minor leagues, you know, 
driving in a bus overnight, not always great conditions at the stadiums. Um, but like I was in three prerequisite classes to get into my program in Amsterdam. And those prerequisite classes were physics, calculus, and MATLAB coding software. So I was taking physics in the middle of the season. I was like, we would get off the bus at six in the morning and everyone would go upstairs and go to sleep. And I would meet with my physics tutor in the hotel lobby. And I just like started there. That was a mess. I moved to Amsterdam. Um, that was also a mess. I'm just like riding a bike around Amsterdam, completely lost. Everyone speaks Dutch. Definitely spent a lot of time alone. I was very lonely. Wait, so your, your time in Amsterdam, was it, it wasn't like a, a European gap <laughs> year for a girl in their, her young 20s. You had a, it was a pretty, still a grinding experience. No, everyone in their 20s that I was in class with was like skiing on the weekend. And I was like, how is this possible? I have to study. Like I was, it was absolutely ridiculously hard for me to go back to school after, you know, 10 years of being out and also to go back to school for like physics. Like I had to, you know, it wasn't like going back to school for business where you're like writing papers. Like I had to, I was taking neuroscience classes and just, just, I mean, it was really extremely rigorous for me. The chess game was, why did I go to Amsterdam? The chess game was the leading researcher in the world for eye tracking is in Amsterdam. And so I had taken a trip there a year prior. I met, I met the Netherlands national baseball and softball coaches. They were also doing some very different stuff than I'd ever seen. So I knew two things. I was gonna go and be in a program where the leading researcher in the entire world for eye tracking for hitters was. That's number one. Number two was I knew I was going to have an opportunity to cross over to being a hitting coach with the Netherlands national team. So when I got there, I immediately had a bit of an, another internship or apprenticeship with the Netherlands national teams and I was in the cages. So I was getting my first taste of hitting, um, you know, not my first taste, but my first taste as a coach. Yeah, as a being in the cages, form. watching swings, taking video, analyzing mechanics, um, setting how to set up practices, how to do those things. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that part time while I was going to school full time in this program where motor learning and, and perception action was a huge thread. So the chess game was I I never was planning to go to academia. I was never planning to go into research. This was all to be a hitting coach. And so I knew when I came back to the States, I went to Seattle to drive line baseball, which is one of the top in the world and did my research in eye tracking, which is an extremely, extremely, extremely rare thing. Like it's not done. It's not talked about. And so I knew that I could set myself apart uh, by doing that. Furthermore, uh, what people may or may not know, my current boss for the Yankees was a hitting coach with the Astros when I was there. He's the one who even told me about eye tracking in the first place I see. Uh, when he was with the Astros. So he was doing eye tracking. My question is, is like, you made a big move. Who do you consult? Do you have a mentor? Do you have, and obviously this person was, I guess, one Dylan. of, it was the only person that kind of provided you guidance with this plan or who else yeah. did you consult at this point? But even him, I'm not sure he understood. When I said I was he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, when I said I was going back to school in Europe, nobody said that was a good idea. Nobody. Wow. That was, that so was it. Your, is that fair to say this is this is your plan? This is your intuition? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. I think it was a calculated risk. I think outside looking in, people were like, what in the hell is she doing? Mm. But to the point where like when I came back, I came back to the States, obviously, I show up to winter meetings and I went to the strength and conditioning coach. Meetings. I showed up to one of the things just to say hi to people. And somebody said to me, Oh, Rachel, like, I didn't know you were going to get back into baseball. And I just was like, I never left, but you thought I let you thought I did, but I did it. Like, yeah. this is all a chess game. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like it was calculated, but I questioned myself only because everybody else was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I know what I'm doing. And then I was like, do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> I was like, do I know what I'm doing? Cause everybody else is telling me I'm crazy. So anyway, yeah, Dylan, I would say my current boss, Dylan Lawson with the Yankees, definitely was like a voice of reason throughout all of this, where once I did get to Europe and I was into things and I was diving into eye tracking and I was diving into all this stuff, he was he got on board and he was like, he actually was like, well, why don't you just be a hitting coach? And I was like, duh, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. I was like, yes. So um, he definitely like kind of pushed and fueled me into that research. I did a bunch of research with eye tracking more than probably has ever been done in the entire world at driveline, which was a phenomenal opportunity to go there and be able to do that. They definitely provided the setting for me to flourish in that. 
Um, and then about midway through that, that process at driveline doing my research, the Yankees hired me last November. Gotcha. You know, maybe it's the naivety on our end with James and I, but I think I remember the day that it was announced when you were hired by the Yankees, we <laughs> looked at each other and we were like, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> we we're like, that makes sense. You <laughs> Rachel is going to like, we're not going to underestimate Rachel. Like, you know, what, what else did we expect? I think it's kind yeah. of funny the way we reacted, but a lot of other people were probably, they probably uh, took the wrong side of the bet. Anyone who knows me, like really knows me is not surprised. Yeah. The entire rest of the world is like confused, surprised. Oh, it's a minority hire. Oh, it's, um, you know, she didn't earn that. Or how's that going to work? Anyone who knows me personally is like, oh yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not afraid to talk about that a little bit, you know, uh, like we mentioned awareness of women's issues uh, and challenges. This is like the, the height of it, you know, relatively speaking to the past. And uh, we're seeing more women in strength and conditioning roles, uh, sometimes through programs that are set up explicitly. Uh, take, for instance, the Denver Broncos, I think, hired their first uh, full time female strength coach uh, through that came through some sort of diversity program. But you don't have to spend a lot of time around sports and professional sports to know that, you know, for every quote unquote diversity hire, which there are not many, right? Like there are virtually none. There are like exponentially more hires that are made on the basis of the network and simply knowing someone. And it is not based on any material qualification besides the network. Um, that's been going on for a very long time, very long time. And we don't have to spend too much time on this because it's you know, probably not constructive for the profession, but it's just fair to say that there are many people who've held positions in sports that are not qualified for them, that got them on the merit of something not related to their talent. Um, and that's a good reason alone for um, objectively opening up the you know, diversity of the position, people who hold these positions to try to dig away at that a little bit. Um, what's interesting is Danica Patrick, she came on Joe Rogan recently and I think Joe Rogan asked her something to the effect of, do you feel the need to like get involved and, you know, you know, uh, break down other barriers for other women in other sports? And she says, no, you know, she says like, I, I, uh, I don't feel like it would be wrong for me to do so, but I just have chosen that my personal experience as a female is mine and I'm just focused on it as opposed to taking it to another level. That's more or less what she said. I don't know if that means anything to you or if you have any thoughts about that. Danica. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about, yeah, I, I actually do feel not for other sports or, I mean, cause the thing is, is I'm still in it, you know, like I'm Danica's out of her, out of her, yeah. her, um, her own struggle, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, at some point I feel like it's an ebb and flow for me personally, and I'm still in it and I'm, and I'm going to be in it for a while and it'll take a lot of perspective and years to like reflect back on this whole journey. Yeah. But like the ebb and flow was like, okay, I got hired full time as a strength coach. And the, at first though, I just was like trying to survive myself. Like my own journey mm -hmm. was the thing. And then I got hired. I could like breathe a little bit and I felt an opportunity to like empower women and do these things. And then I went through like a two, three year, probably for sure those two years of just like going to school, moving to Europe, moving back, research, all this stuff where I was, I was like drained and I was like, I can't talk to, can't, I can't be empowering people right now. I just have to like, it's my journey. And then if somebody watches my journey and they get something from it, great. But I just yeah. felt very shut down and then I got hired by the Yankees and I'm feeling that coming back up where I just have time to breathe so that I can actually assist someone else. Yeah. Um, I, so I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, but, I'm struggling to answer cause I'm still like in the yeah, midst. In yeah. You, do you know, of you the journey. Like, do you ever feel like you can't be too loud sometimes? Is that a real feeling? Yeah. If, yeah. Yep. That is like, I can't, you, do you mean like there can't be enough said about it? Yeah. Like, do you ever feel like, you know, if I bang this drum too loudly, do, is there a risk that I'm like more of a liability? Oh. If I'm oh. am I more of a liability than I am, you know, is it outweighing 
my liability outweighing, you know, the good that I'm doing on this, this cause. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's, and there's things that I won't talk about until someday I write it in a book. You know, it's, yeah. it's just like, yeah. it's just not worth it right now because it, I could lose myself opportunities, but I could also lose opportunities for other women. That's crazy. So I do see, I do see, you know, you see things come out where women sue organizations or people and, and look, I don't want to say you shouldn't do that because if there's a real tough situation, like, I don't know what it would take for me to do that, but I could have sued people many times, many times. And I just don't, because if I do, you know, people ask like when I changed my name and all this stuff. And when that year, 2013, it was the year where I just like, I was, I was literally blatantly told by an organization. Um, and that I knew it was going on elsewhere. Like, why didn't you sue? Why don't you take legal action? It's like, I wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast with you talking about getting hired as a hitting coach. None of this would have happened. Yeah. So it's my, it doesn't mean that you didn't have a right to sue or that suing would have been the right thing to do. It certainly would have been, but um, you know, from like an ethical perspective, but in terms of the way you wanted to pursue it in your journey, you decided not to because you, you felt like there were other ways to accomplish what you wanted to do. Is that is that how you arrived that? Soon? Yeah, I don't know what that accomplishes other than it would have, it, I wouldn't, I would have never had the career that I've had so far. And I would have then also any good that I have done for creating more opportunities for women, creating a different idea would be null. It wouldn't, it wouldn't exist. Right. So I just don't, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to say that it's not right for other women to do that. And I see them doing it. I just think like you're taking away the opportunity for yourself and the other opportunity for other women. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to have, you have to be deaf, you have to be blind and you just have to go, all right. Like if I'm choosing to be the first of something, yeah, it's not going to be easy for people. So I just have to have grace and empathy and go, wow, that was a really rude comment or that was really sexist of you and go all right yep yeah, okay we'll try again tomorrow like yeah. i'll see you i'm gonna be here tomorrow we'll do this again and yeah. you'll do better and i'll help you through this because you obviously are uncomfortable with this or you don't like me here or you just don't know how to talk to a woman in this role and um that's fair because you've worked in this sport for 30 years and never had to do that so i'm gonna give you a little second chance and we're gonna work through this um, I just don't think everyone feels that way. I don't think everyone has the perspective because they get in their first year and are naive and don't understand. You know, I mean, I, 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 I refrain from telling stories because it's like, I, I don't know. I don't, I think people could probably Google and find out who these people were that did this stuff. So I'll tell it in the book someday, but I just, right now I still have a lot of career left and that means that I have an opportunity to be a visible example for other women, be a visible, visible example for other organizations that are thinking about hiring a woman in a certain position. And if I don't take that opportunity, then it's not just for me, it's, it's losing out on opportunities for other people. And that is really the worst yeah. thing I could do. So you have to be realistic, even though that means it might be a little bit painful. You have to be strategic and that's just the reality. And frankly, I've had way more positive experiences than I have negative. Uh -huh. So way more positive experiences with both coaches and players than I have negative. And so to let those few negative experiences. Yeah. You're going to overshadow. Yeah. You know, that's not, that'd be, that'd be rude almost to the people who have supported me and mentored me for me to go, Oh, this one person who probably wasn't even a mentor or a friend to me, you know, and probably by the way, had problems with everybody else. Like if I had a problem with a player it's because they had problems with everybody, but because I'm a woman, it manifested a little differently. They said something, whatever, you know, it's usually not just that it's that they have problems with all the coaches and I'm just a woman. So it came out differently. Yeah. So I just believe strongly that you have to have some kind of threshold for that stuff. You have to have empathy for, for people going through change. It's just that I'm the epicenter of the change. So it's directed at me, which is not fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You just, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. It's as simple as that. I wouldn't be here if I did it. And it's worth, it's worth all of that stuff to be here and have an opportunity like this um, and to help other women. Yeah. Um, I'm not done yet. This is a phrase that you use often and yeah. that your social media posts and 
I don't mm-hmm. know if you have a tattoo of it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about what a little bit about what that means and how you came up with it and, and who else uses it with you? Uh, I started that when I was playing the chess game. I went back to school and everyone was like, oh, you're never going to get a job and you'll never be back. And how? why are you going back to school? Why are you going to Europe? What's uh-huh. in Europe? Blah, blah, blah. I like started that. I just, I don't even use any other hashtags really. I just was like, I'll be back. Like, I think at the time, you know, it's just like I said, I was in this like dark hole and I was like, fuck you guys. Like, okay, see you next year. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be back. I'm not done yet. It kind of started as this like, this like chip on my shoulder, I guess. But now it's just like anything else. Like, okay, COVID hits. Like, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not done yet. There's more for me. I'm not just going to be a hitting coach. There's going to be another time where people are shocked again at something I'm hired for. You're not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be shocked, but I'm not done yet. There's, there's plenty of things left to do for me personally, but also for the game and for the industry and for women and I mean, for many. So um, I'm not done yet. It's just this attitude of perpetual growth and um, perpetual openness to change in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So who are some other people uh, and notable women who you think are part of your team and your, uh, you know, your squad that, uh, that you lean on? I mean, you mentioned that, uh, um, you know, the hitting coach with the Astros at one point gave you some advice, but are there any people that you think are important in your life that roll with you and some people that you can lean on and sometimes lean on you? I mean, God, you mean specifically women or men as well? It doesn't matter. I mean, I have like, I just think about all of the dads and brothers I have in this business who have supported me when they didn't need to, you know, especially early on, you know, I think about Pete, like Pete had my back again, the major league strength coach for the Cardinals at the time. I, (laughs) he had my back so many times, way more than I even know about, you know, I'm sure behind closed doors with people talking, but even certain things like when I was first hired and, and again, I was, there was still a level of naivete of like, all right, I was hired full time by the Cardinals as a coordinator. And I just thought like, all right, it's over. Like people are going to respect me, which wasn't the case, you know? And so he brought me to winter meetings and he showed me around like a, like a prized dog. He was like, have you met Rachel, our coordinator? Yeah. Have you met, have you, come over here. Have you met Rachel? He just was like the most supportive person ever in every way. And I remember showing up to spring training. It's my first ever full spring training major league camp. And like the players are walking up and you could just see the confusion on their faces a little bit thinking back, you know, they're like, Hey, and Pete's like, yeah, yeah. Rachel, have you met her? Our coordinator. She's awesome. You gotta meet, you know, he just he made it awkward for them. If they were awkward, he was like, Oh yeah, great. Made it. Yeah. So early on when I think I hadn't even earned it and people were, were just so, so supportive. Um, I think about Brent Strom He's now current uh, major league pitching coach for the Astros, but he was the pitching coordinator for the Cardinals when I was in 2012 and as an intern. Mm-hmm. And he's like got 30 to 40 years in the game. And he was just like the most supportive guy ever. He's an older school guy. So everyone respects him and he respected me. And so by default, you know, he had my back in certain situations. And I just think like, I didn't even do anything to earn that. They had every right to dis- discount me as a young female coach and they just fucking had my back you know in every situation so I would say early on those people I mean it's countless I can't even I I I could list 30 to 40 people on here you know who were who were instrumental in my confidence you know starting even with my parents so yeah it's just literally too many to mention yeah um is there something about MLB that keeps you coming back. I mean, I, I, for me, I think like, it looks like a pretty fun environment. I think anyone who's played baseball or softball knows that the dugout is like one yeah. of the silliest places in all the sports. Probably uh, <laughs> I've walked into enough uh, spring training facilities over the years that when you walk in at the beginning of the spring season, all like everyone's excited to be there. It just looks like a big, you know, like a big, uh, there's just a lot of positive energy. Is yeah. that, is that a big reason for you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but everything you just said is true. I think it's just one of those things where you have to know what your special gift is in the world. And 
it's like for all the experiences that I've had, I mean, starting with it being a college softball player, dating that minor league baseball player, getting privy to all these weird things that I didn't know that still people don't really know about um, just through that experience. It just, it's like, I, I just am always brought to, there's a quote from Buckminster Fuller that's basically like, what is your job on the planet? And somebody out there is curing cancer and somebody out there is being the first woman race car driver and somebody out there is being the first woman on the Supreme Court as a Supreme Court justice. Somebody out there is doing something else and this is my job. I don't know how else to say it. This is my job on the planet. And if I were to quit and do something else now, it'd be a disservice to the community. Yeah. Not me. You know, I just think this is my calling and it's not because I'm a gifted hitting coach. It's because of all these weird special circumstances of my upbringing and softball and having the yips and having a career end from a mental anxiety issue. Like that people take for granted, like that's, that's very rare and it's different. It allows me to coach differently. allows me to have a different lens. Um, allows me to look at people differently and all of these experiences have added up to just like, I can't go back. I just yeah. can't go back. There's nothing else for me to do. Yeah. Well, I think it's as good as time as any to wrap up our hour there. I mean, that was pretty awesome. That actually was not the answer I was expecting as to, you know, why you you're sticking it out and still pursuing it. But I think, you know, the longer I get, get to know you, the, the more I do find out about you, you know, your story <laughs> is still kind of developing. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, anything else you wanted to, to add on here? I mean, this is, no. you get, you have some great questions. Yeah. Again, like I said, I just jotted this stuff down, but I knew that no matter what was written, we would get into some fun stuff and oh yeah, cover some important questions. And I hope it wasn't too like introspective with, you know, your, your experiences, but, um, all the other surface questions have been asked before. So for this one, I wanted to just kind of dig a little bit deeper. I hope you don't mind. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Good. Do you miss, uh, I guess you still train some people, right? Uh, a little bit at Are you all. you going to ask if I miss strength and conditioning? I was going to ask if you just miss training people. I ask people that sometimes. <laughs> no, I don't miss it. You don't miss it? No. I mean, I'm still, I'm coaching. It's not, it's like, it's not yeah. different. You're still, you're still scratching the itch. Yeah. Uh, like I'm, it's, it's really just not different to me. It's yeah. coaching. Yeah. That's all it is. But you still like training yourself. You get after it still. Yeah, I train. Yeah, I train myself, but I just like to do that. And then I don't have to. Now the difference is, as a strength coach, you're always asking people to do things they don't want to do. Like no one wants to wake up at six and do conditioning. Yeah. Um, but with hitting, they want to do extra. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest difference. That's a good point. I never thought about that. Oh, it's so different. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, "Can we hit more?" I'm like, "What?" And is that easier? Is it different? I mean, what's that? Is it easier? Is it different? What? So easy. It's so much easier in really? some in some ways. In some yeah. ways, from from the attitude perspective of the athlete, oh, it's so much different. Where ain't nobody want to do conditioning in a hundred degree weather in the middle of August, but they sure as heck want to hit every single day. Yeah, maybe Tim Tebow. He's the only one. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's different in that way. But other than that, it's just coaching. It's the same feeling, you know, just empowering people and teaching and yeah, it's great. Do you mostly train alone? Uh, especially right now because of COVID, but yeah, yeah. mostly. But and also just I know Matt around, so. Yeah. Do you ever, I, when you do your traveling, I, I'm sure you drop in at a lot of gyms, a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, have you ever given someone unsolicited advice as uh, just like from no. being in the gym? Yeah, that's, that. no one likes that person, right? But. Has anyone ever come to you and given you unless unsolicited advice while you train? Um, not often. This is going to sound really cocky, but it's not often because most of the time I drop into a gym somewhere and I'm lifting the most weight out of all the women in the gym. So, so maybe no they, really. okay. So here's an escort. Does anyone come to you for advice? <laughs> oh, yes, that does happen. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Just, just uh, not all the time, but sometimes, yeah. Hey, but I, I love being able to sample gyms all over the world. It's fun. Yeah. Look, I'm guilty. I know enough strength coaches. I, I've texted a lot of strength coaches about their, should I do this? Should I do that? 
this is like, this is my true unlimited resources. I know so many strength coaches. <laughs> I, I'll never wear one person out. I have many, many people to go to for That's my- That's actually a good strategy. For my gen pop questions. Yeah, I don't yeah. wear them out. I always go to someone new. <laughs> well, good stuff. I, um, it, Rachel, if you have any resources that you wanna share with any of our listeners, um, I can always get those from you and post yeah. them up. I don't know what uh, is important to you at this point as far as uh, what you wanna share, but your Instagram is always a good follow. I think that's where I mostly keep up with you. It's yeah, awesome. Instagram's good. It's a good I mean, one. If you can spell my last name, you can find me just about anywhere. And then um, yeah. I am doing some uh, career mentorships for women. Oh, excellent. Um, I've had just time to do that this year, you know, obviously. And then um, I don't know if that'll keep going through spring training. It definitely will not be happening uh, next year when I'm actually coaching, hopefully, cross your fingers. Um, but yeah, I've had time to do that and it's it's presented itself. So I'm doing um, some career mentorships for women. So if anyone's interested in that, they can reach out to me through my website or Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. It's fine. Awesome. We'll be sure to pass that along. That's really cool. Well, good. Well, thanks for coming on, Rachel. It's a good time as always. And uh, I appreciate catching up. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.